Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. So welcome back to this next episode of Mission Matters. I am happy to have with us today Kyle Clinkingbeard, who works at the University Counseling Center as counselor, therapist, social worker, several different elements of ministry, depending on what is needed. So welcome, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Yes, all of those hats are ones that I have in my closet and wear almost all at the same time some days. I bet. So to start us off, you know, the folks who are our audience are mostly employees of St. Louis University, but we also have some listeners who are students. We have some who are alum. We have some who are just friends of SLU. So start us off just by giving us an overview of what the center offers, what your job kind of looks like. I'm sure there isn't such a thing as a normal day, but yeah. So the University Counseling Center, UCC is generally how it's thrown around, is a center for counseling, as it would imply, for students of SLU. So basically, the students that come into our office are coming to SLU, and if they have paid the student wellness fee, then they qualify to receive free services from our counseling center. What that entails is different from student to student, of course, but our general flow of business involves what's called a consultation session. So they would schedule online or call our office. Shante is the one who runs the phones. Shante has been here for 16 years, I believe, and could probably answer any question frontward and backwards of slew operations. So they can call her, schedule online, then they would come in for that consultation session. Part of that is, you know, is this the counselor that I want to see? They can do that kind of screening before they come in. But the consultation session is one about fit, the appropriate level of care. Is this counselor one that I want to keep talking to? Things of that nature, just to get to know each other, gather information. And from there, if things go as they usually do, an intake session is scheduled. So the intake session involves pretty standard intake stuff, biological, psychological, social, and spiritual components, getting to know the student as the whole person. And that guides our treatment when we do individual psychotherapy in the office for approximately 10 sessions. 10 session isn't a hard deadline stop. We're not going to kick anybody out to the curb to try and fend for themselves, but the intake session guides what type of treatment the therapists that we have here with vastly different backgrounds and interests and clinical training, all of those things are guided by that intake session. The counselors here have vastly different backgrounds. I come from substance use and inpatient forensic psychiatric. We've got community health. We've got private practice. We've got eating disorder. We've got LGBTQ plus issues. We've got all of these wide ranging backgrounds. I am one that am proud of the diversity that we offer in treating the diverse things that students bring in. We have referrals in the community that we have sent people to. We're currently retooling that, bringing more things on board, more relationships in the community. 
because maybe this isn't where they want to be or this isn't the fit for them and we want to help them get to where they want and need to go. We work with student health, we work with the Center for Accessibility Disability, we work with, we need to figure out a letter for students to present to their professors for whatever. We work with a lot of people in the university, DICE office, Title IX, that in a pretty large nutshell, I guess, is the University Counseling Center. Right. So it sounds like you have collaboration across almost every aspect of the campus, which is fantastic to know. It also sounds, and I want to make sure this is as clear as possible, that no matter what the struggle might be for a student, they can show up and find a listening ear or find someone who can talk to them to figure out what they need. Yeah, absolutely. Part of what we do is taking crisis appointments. Student walks in in crisis. We make sure that that student is met with and gets what they need. That can be somebody that just needs to listen and schedule follow-up sessions. Not kidding ourselves that sometimes something else is needed and we have to take students to the hospital, figure out transportation with DPS. That has happened. It will happen. We don't want it to, but we are equipped to deal with that when it comes up. Okay. Um, and it is part of what we do. Obviously, we want students to come in before we get to that point, yeah. but things happen. You know, sometimes a large event occurs, something traumatic, and it's, it's what happens. That's what we're here for. And also for the secondary trauma after that, you know, students, I guess, who are friends of or just triggered by certain things. Absolutely. Okay, so I do want to be able to talk a little bit about um, your experience at the center. But before we do that, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get into this field? What has drawn you to this type of uh, service? So I am from a very small rural town in southern Missouri and grew up on a farm and did all of that stuff and came to SLU for college and ran track here. The disparities and issues that I saw growing up with, I mean, frankly, racism and other systemic xenophobic issues is one block of in the foundation of why I chose to be a social worker. Uh, I have my LCSW and that's part of it. And being an advocate and providing services for people who don't have as big of a voice of people who look like me probably the definition of what white privilege is and what the majority looks like. It's my duty to use that to help people who don't have that and to work against those systems that have fostered those types of things. And that's what brought me to social work. That's why I went to my first job was at a residential substance use facility really as the opioid epidemic was taking hold of this vice grip across the nation and people with addiction aren't looked at kindly in society. They're ostracized and cast out. The stigma is very strong. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I went from there to a forensic psychiatric hospital. So people who had been charged with certain criminal charges and were found incompetent to stand trial. What that means is that somebody along the line of them being in jail said something's not right psychologically. Um, And they were evaluated by a certified forensic examiner 
And that was the outcome. Tons of schizophrenia, bipolar, neurocognitive things, personality disorders, a, a lot of different things in that population. Similar story, yeah. people who historically in this country, people who have schizophrenia have been tortured for treatment. And it, it's truly unfair to them to be treated as such. And that is why I went to that population. And then am at SLU, bit of a different type of need, but the students coming in, um, similar conversations, similar things have been ostracized, the stigma around mental health. The university is not impervious to that stigma, right? So there, that stigma still exists here outside of these doors, outside of this conversation. It's, it's pretty rampant. And that is a combination of why I'm a social worker, but also my career path and what has led me to be here. I feel very honored to be in this position, to even have this conversation, to to say these things, because a lot of people don't. Yeah. So what has your experience working at the UCC been like? So I came in in December, about two weeks after I came here, there was a change in leadership. We have a new director. I think that that was certainly discombobulating coming into a new job. I don't even know where the bathrooms are. And then I have a new boss. That is pretty jarring, but all good things have come from that change. The director, Naiba, I, I really believe in what she is doing and pushing and implementing. So my expectations were completely exceeded of what this new change would be, which probably to be fair, my expectations were, I, I need to figure out if I'm going to survive this or not. But it, it has taught me and reaffirmed, you know, why I'm in this field. It has taught me a, a deal of flexibility. And part of the conversations I've had with her and what I am grateful for and am continuing to learn is restarting that creative problem solving that I felt in my personal and professional life had been not being fed. It hadn't been fostered mm -hmm. in a way that I would like for it to be. And coming here, there's a lot of growth and different perspectives and it's a place of learning and all of those things. That being in this office too has been wonderful and bouncing ideas and working with my other colleagues. That has been uh, a lesson in and of itself. You know, you come to a new environment, you don't know what it's going to look like and learning that, you know, it is different, but this is still a team. We are trying to achieve a common goal and how we get there might be different across the hallway, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, that's good to hear because out of the mission office, we always, we got a lot of vocabulary and a lot of language that we use mm -hmm. and it's important to know that it's not just words that when we talk about a higher purpose, greater good, when we talk about being persons for and with others, when we talk about seeking and finding God in all things, that it actually has skin and it walks around on campus and mm -hmm. it is embodied in offices and in interactions. So really glad to hear that from you. Yeah. I think I want to backpedal a little bit. We know that last academic year was a really painful one on SLU's campus was a very difficult one for students, was a very difficult one for faculty and staff. There was a lot of tragedies. So 
I guess the question that I pose to you is how, as we're starting this new academic year, is there a specific message? Is there a specific outlook that would be helpful for people to try to latch onto so that it's a, it truly is a year of hope? Yeah. A couple of things. The collective trauma that we all went through, some more than others in this environment, was exactly that. It was a brutal year, not just at SLU across the a nation, you know, the world too, but at universities, students were suffering all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast, reading articles and stories about the suffering that these students are experiencing. And, you know, I can only speak for the things that I know, the things that are being implemented at SLU, if I didn't believe in, I wouldn't stay. I believe in in these changes. So that is part of it. The other part is that something for students, but also and mainly people around the students, is that a lot of this pain comes from perceived and or actual isolation from support systems, isolations from the things that are important to students. When you are cut off or think that you're cut off, you go to really dark places. And it's not a matter of this student isn't trying hard enough. It's not a matter of they're not applying themselves or they just need to do the work. And that's part of the narrative that we're trying to change is that it's not always about performance. Those types of things are going to be there. But the thing that I hope people hear is that the things that these students are experiencing are not like the things that previous students experienced. Even when I was here, you know, I think I graduated in 2017. It's completely different. Things have changed. We have a responsibility as staff and faculty to change how we present this product to the students. We can't expect students who are coming out of a pandemic, spending two and a half years in their basement or bedroom to change to a completely foreign, might as well be on Mars type of environment. My call for people who do listen to this, who are employed by SLU, is to shift that perspective a little bit, change that lens of these students are experiencing things that I didn't, that other students haven't. I need to be aware of that. And for the students, I want them to know that we hear and see that and are really pushing for this institution and the institutions around us to change to that. So it's funny, as you're talking, I'm thinking of two things. So one, you're basically articulating the cure personalis, right? What it means to care for the whole person, what it means to meet people where they are. So that's number one. Number two, I can't remember who said this to me or where I heard it, but as a teacher, so I I was an educator most of my life, and um, somebody made the comment about high school students at one point. They said, they're not younger versions of you. I loved that phrase. It really benefited me as an educator. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say now, just for all of us here who are working for the mission at SLU, that our students are not younger versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. This is a unique situation. It needs a unique response and it needs a response that actually notices their current reality. 
Yeah. And, and I had a conversation somewhat recently. The question was, you know, do you think that this generation is weaker than previous generations? Some of the people in that conversation thought so, which is sad to hear. But the thing that I said and was really trying to get my point across was it's something that you can't compare. This was in a, an environment where sports was a common way of speaking. And I use a lot of analogies and I use one about baseball and it's applicable everywhere. But comparing Babe Ruth to, you know, we're in St. Louis, so Albert Pujols, you can't do that. It's not fair to the older generation. You know, if you put Babe Ruth out there right now, you have pitchers throwing 103 miles an hour. He's going to be completely lost for a number of reasons. I mean, you put somebody now back then, they're going to be completely lost too. Right. It's not a matter of being weaker. It's a matter of it being completely different 10 years ago, five years ago, even. Yeah. Context matters. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, I know this is an impossible question, but if you had to say, what are some of the big things that you're seeing in our young people these days, whether it's needs, whether it's joys, you know, what are the big realities that uh, our students are handling? These students are coming in fresh off the pandemic. And I mean, I was trying to do some math, which admittedly is not my strong suit, but this pandemic has been a pretty big chunk percentage-wise of a young person's life. Somebody's coming in at age 17, it's like 15% of their life, you know, now moving upwards to 17, 18, almost a quarter of their life. You know, you think about if you're 50 years old, 15% of your life, 16% of your life is almost 10 years. The concerns and needs that I see in the context of the pandemic, but outside of that is a need for more empathetic approach to how we conduct ourselves as faculty staff, not just at SLU. This isn't a SLU problem. This is a United States of America problem. The things that I really enjoy and am hopeful about working with these students is their honesty and their ability to be direct. I admire that a lot because my generation is, is the passive aggressive has no boundaries of bending over backwards for people. And, you know, that doesn't foster any psychological or health, but the honesty and being direct is something that I really admire. And part of that, that gets me excited about working with these students is their insight into these systemic and institutional issues, the systemic racism and the exclusion of people with disabilities or things of that nature, just how this society has been built for, for white people. They, generally speaking, you know, everybody's different, but I see some of these students really honing in on that. And that honesty, that being direct, that drive that a lot of these students have, they're going after that. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. You know, I, I admire just the, this is wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong. I don't care if there are a hundred people who are in my face saying that I am wrong. I know this for a fact. I'm going to stand up for it. I love that. That's something that I try and embody and to, you know, to see people who 
are younger than me that are just kind of going through these huge formative changes in their lives it is awesome. So my hope and the joy that I get out of that hope, this group of students is going to make some big changes, much needed changes that have been a long time coming. I'm oh. happy to work with them. I'm happy to be a part of it. So all around campus, there are banners that uh, speak to one of the UAPs, which is Jesuit lingo for the Universal Apostolic Preferences, one of which is accompanying youth in the creation of a hope-filled future. And so I think that's a beautiful thing for each one of us to take on as a commitment. But I'm also hearing in what you're saying is the flip side of that, in that there is a hope-filled future coming and it is being ushered in, in many ways by the youth. So it's not something that is foreign. It's not something that needs to be discovered necessarily. Hope and a hope-filled future is something that we live and we live into day by day. Mm -hmm. And nobody has the market on it. We need to do it together. Yeah. You know, when I first started here, I, I went to college here. I said that. So, you know, the nostalgia and whatever was there. But when the students came back in January, it was cold, but you could still see, you see it. You see all these ingredients and this like churning of social and progressive change, feel it building up to go out and, you know, be that change, embody that change. Yeah. That, that was one of the things that first stuck with me when nostalgia about, oh, this is where such and such happened and all that stuff wore off. Seeing the students in that lied in that way is exactly what you're talking about. That hope-filled future being in the present. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you want to throw in here before we wrap this up a little bit? I think that this year is going to be a telling one, not just within this institution and the changes that are being implemented, like I said, that I believe in, but the factors that this institution can control and how this institution responds to those things. I am hopeful and do believe in these things that we are doing. I want the university to continue to push people within the university to continue to grow, to continue to change for the sake of this university, really. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you very much. Um, know that all of us here in the SLU community are with you behind everybody there at the UCC 100%, um, keeping you in our prayers, keeping you supported through every way we can. And just really grateful that you spent the time here with us today. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I am honored to be here, honored to talk about the University Counseling Center. Thank you. And for all of you listening, don't forget to follow us on social media at SLU Jesuit Mission on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you know of a colleague who's living the mission out loud but seems to be hidden in plain sight, give us a heads up so we can highlight the good work being done here in our community. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, in this year of hope, let's continue to celebrate together the gift of walking with youth in the creation of a hope-filled future. Because mission matters. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU, and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.